that is a superb episode. And when you sit down and go, why is that episode like a gem in that show? It's because that episode, they've got a, a world that's small enough that they can build out of it, right? They have to come up... Think about it this way. They have to come up with jokes that can only happen in the memory wiping... the the memory parasite episode. Yeah. So the jokes in them are better because those jokes have real adrenaline to build them up because what makes you laugh is the momentum towards the laugh. Mm. You can't just get a full raucous belly laugh from nowhere. It has to be built up. This is a difference we've mentioned in previous episodes, I'm sure, where... Um, it's the difference between a Family Guy laugh and, like, say, a South Park laugh or, or a Philly, Philly laugh yeah. or something like that. Hello, and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylog team. So today, we're going to talk about Rick and Morty! Rick and Morty! It's the Rick and Morty podcast! It's the Rick and Morty podcast! Do the admin, Lukey! Do the admin! Do the admin, Lukey! Do it, Luke! I can't tell if your impression is getting better or worse. Do it, do it! Do the admin! Oh, okay, Bass! Yeah, this this the story talking. Bad Rick and Morty bass. <laughs> you okay? Can we move on? Oh, that was great. Yes, this is a Rick and Morty podcast. You can do it again. I don't know at which point we press the stop button and start again, but I feel like we're 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 knee deep now. So let's just style it out, shall we? Hi, this is the story toolkit. Bass didn't tell me he was going to do that. Um, you can find us on Twitter at the Story Toolkit, and we we have uh, the Story and you can get in touch. There are all the episodes there. None of them involve impressions quite as terrible as those. Um, and today we're going to talk about Rick and Morty. I think my impression was okay. Um, seven out of ten. That's. I'll take it. <laughs> okay. Move on. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> so we're going to talk about Rick and Morty today. We're going to talk about a specific episode of Rick and Morty, Rick Potion Number Nine, which is yes. from the first season, and it's neither. It's not the ninth episode either. It's like episode seven. It's just weird. But Rick Potion Number Nine, it's called. Um, we're going to talk about that, um, and uh, because people have asked me to. Everyone expects me to really love Rick and Morty and um, to want to do podcasts on it. And I've seen every episode except for the last episode of season three. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not too... I, we weren't going to do an episode on it because I don't like the show. Luke does. But I really did actually like this episode. And I thought I'd explain why I thought this episode was was, was really good. Well, the, there's a point I was going to make later. Um, but... It seems more relevant now than ever. Um, I think you like the show more than you think you do. That's possible. Because when you don't like something, you just don't bother <laughs> at all. That's like true. it is an impossible time. Like there, yeah. there's stuff that I've wanted you to watch or read, <laughs> and you're you just be like, no, <clears throat> I read a few pages and I have a problem with it. So no, no. 
But you've seen more Rick and Morty than I have. I'm not up to date on season three. It's true. It's 20 minutes. It's bite size. It's very bite size. Very Don't easy. try and justify very, it. No, no. Deep it's very down. easy to watch. But the other thing was... Bass, we're going to send you on a character arc episode. It, it, this episode. <laughs> okay? Uh, uh, we're going to unlit you. You're going to admit... I'll, I'll, I'll do the whole episode like this, Lukey. <laughs> I'll, I'll do the whole thing. The whole thing. I don't necessarily <laughs> have a problem with that, Bass. Oh, my God. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> so, th- there's a couple of things. Like, I, I actually kind of, like, you know, the the kind of stuff that sometimes Rick comes out with. And, like, th- there's certain relationships of it that's funny. Um, but the thing that actually kept me watching it, even past the point where I really didn't want to anymore, was the way people talked about it. People genuinely liked it. Yeah. And I didn't want to just be a curmudgeon, <laughs> right? I didn't just want to be like, that. I say, I want to at least get get enough of it so that um, I'm not like, I'm not just this black hole uh, whenever the subject comes up. So, and I was I was quite happy when I found an episode that I actually really liked, um, which is this episode, the Rick Potion episode. And the episode is Morty. Wants a love potion. So you what's can... it? Sorry, before if if you haven't seen Rick and Morty, what's the premise of the Rick show? Rick, basically, the premise of the show is it's um, Rick is uh, Morty's grandfather, and he comes to live with the family. It's never really explained why, and uh, he can teleport through time and space. He has like a gun that lets him do, it. and he's a super smart genius, he's the smartest man in the universe, and all that stuff. He's a scientist. No, he's supposed to be the smartest man in the universe. No, 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 but I mean, at no point have you mentioned he's a scientist. You led with, he's got a teleporting gun. Oh, have I not mentioned that? Out of context. Oh, yeah, he's... Well, he's not really a scientist in the... I mean, he He is... He has a lab. He has a lab, but, like, he doesn't do... He just does random, like, stuff... It's just like science jokes that makes science nonsense. That's like it's like saying Bugs Bunny's like a rabbit. It's kind of not a rabbit in any way. It doesn't look like a rabbit. Anyway, he's a scientist. The, grit, so, the show grew out of a skit that um, the guy did riffing on the Back to the Future. Right? Yeah, because like, Marty, Marty, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but he's basically a horrible person, Rick, and he takes his grandson Morty on these adventures, and these adventures are always really, really dark and twisted. Um, and the show, the, basically the premise of the show is Rick and Morty, they go on a sci-fi adventure that has a sort of wondrous premise. And then that wonder turns into a nightmare over the course of the episode. And uh, everyone comes away a worse person. It's pretty much the formula of the show, <laughs> right? And... Um, and yeah, like as 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 evidenced by us doing the the voices, like it's fun. Those voices, they're both done by the same guy, yeah, yeah. Uh, Royland, right? And they're fun voices to do. It's just fun to kind of stammer, and even though it kind of hurts I've, your throat, it's, I've heard him in interviews having conversations with himself. And yeah, it's just wonderful. Yeah, it's it sounds like um. Uh, I remember hearing like they were they were doing one episode. It's the Meeseeks episode. How they came up with Mister Meeseeks. Can't do, <laughs> ah, Mr. Amazing. Yeah. So the thing was, like, but the thing is, Roy- Royland was um, the. I think the phrase was he was on the floor, rolling back and forth, going, "This episode isn't fun." Um, <laughs> and he started doing the Meeseeks voice, and so the whole thing was like, there is a sense of play to the show that is quite, um, yeah. I think, endearing, and you can't help but be kind of captivated by it, which is this sense of like every. 
the, the voices and the silliness in the show are specifically what is fun to do mm. as opposed to anything else. Like, I had, a, I, I had a rather strange conversation with um, a friend who adores the show. Mm. Um, he, of the people I know, he, he loves it the most. Um, and we talked about it uh, before season three came out and uh, he said... He, he, He's watched it all like two, three times, and I said, "You know, I've watched it all, but I, I don't think I've laughed out loud all that much." No. Um, and he said, "Oh no, I, I, I don't either. I just sit there and smile and watch the show. Yeah. So it's not like they have often these big, you know, laugh out loud jokes. Like in the same way that Philly would build up to in this incredible, um, yeah. just explosion of laughter at the end. Yeah. Um, of an episode these don't necessarily have that that's funny because the first episode I saw no the second episode I saw (laughs) beg your pardon I properly burst out loud laughing really yeah it was the penis transplant episode right Uh, when there's um, so the the episode for those of you who don't know it um, they're in a hospital and Jerry who is Morty's father and uh, the stepson to Rick um, he has been shot but in an alien hospital, that's easy to fix. So it gets fixed, and then they explain that the human penis is exactly the same as this alien's heart, and this alien basically needs a heart transplant. In other words, it needs his penis. And re- and Jerry refuses to give them the penis, and they're like, oh, I see how it is. Typical human, all you care about is your penis and all that kind of stuff, right? And Jerry feels bad <laughs> because he's not willing to give up his penis. And they slowly build up the fact that the person who needs the penis is like the Mahatma Gandhi of the alien worlds, right? He's this wonderful peace person. He's he's so important. He's he's like, he's the most important person there is and Jerry won't let him live because Jerry wants to keep his penis, right? And so Jerry feels worse and worse and worse. And it gets to a point where uh, Jerry, everyone hates Jerry because Jerry won't give him his penis and so Jerry feels really bad about himself hates the fact that people think he's horrible and so he storms into the operating room when he discovers that there is an artificial penis transplant that the alien can have that is not as good as a full working human penis but it will work for his heart nonetheless and Jerry storms in while they're operating and goes I demand that you cut my penis off and put it in this alien's chest I'm a good person right and I <laughs> I just thought that's amazing that's so funny and so um, so for me like that's I think that's that's what you want so when yeah. I'm watching the show and I'm not getting those laughs I'm like you know, okay. If I'm not getting those laughs, then what am I getting? It's like, well, you're getting a sort of deep psychodrama about these characters and who they are at their core, or you're getting a really smart, wonderful sci-fi world. And most of the time, none of that actually works for me. Okay, and so I'm before not laughing. We, yeah, before we go too deep into it, then. Um, so the episode Rick Potion number. So the, yes, the episode that I particularly liked, Rick Potion number nine, works like this. Morty wants a love potion to make the girl at school fall in love with him. Uh, Jessica, is that her name, or is it Jennifer? I forget. I, I watched it this morning, and I still can't remember. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. I think it's Jessica, right? Sure, whatever. So. Well, anyway, anyway, it begins, and it's something like that. Anyway, so I really can't remember. It's crazy. Um, anyway, so Morty wants her to fall in love with him, and so she uh, he asks Rick, yeah. Oh, jeez, Rick, can I have a screwdriver? No, no. <laughs> he goes, jeez, Rick, you know, I, I want a love potion like that. 
And Rick is asking Morty for a screwdriver. He's like, can you give me the screwdriver, Morty? He's like, no. It is Jessica. The power of Google has told me so. Jessica. Okay. Um, so Jessica... Um, so he wants Jessica to fall in love with him. And um, he wants this love potion. He says, there's got to be a way that you can make a love potion for me. And Rick is like, I just want that screwdriver so I can finish the thing passing me the screwdriver. And Rick's like, and Morty's like, no, I'm not going to pass you the screwdriver. Let's make me the love potion. He goes, fine, I'll make you a love potion. And he makes a love potion out of a vol's like DNA hormones because voles make for life. And so he says, you give her this potion, she will fall in love with you because voles fall in love forever and that will be the end of it. Okay? And he goes, nothing weird's going to happen. And he's like, no, nothing weird's going to happen. Now just go. So Morty goes and then after Morty's left, um, Rick goes, unless, unless she has the flu. Nah, be fine. And of course it's flu season and she's had the flu jab and whatever. So he goes to the party, you know, the big dance, and Morty gives her the thing. And because she's had the flu, the love virus thing becomes airborne. And suddenly everyone is in love with Morty now, right? Everyone loves Morty. And so this is a big problem because <laughs> everyone, including like all the men, all the women, all the teachers, all the students, the rapper singing, he just goes, I love you, Morty. Uh, like that, it starts singing like that. And so he goes back to her and goes, oh, jeez, Rick, oh, jeez, it's all gone wrong. Everyone loves me. It's like, well, don't worry. It won't affect anyone who's related to you. So you're fine. But we just need to counteract it. He goes, I'm going to counteract it with praying mantis. Okay, because praying mantis, when they, when they, when they mate, they, the woman kills the man. So they'll cancel out the vole love. That's his plan, right? And so he creates an airborne mutagen of praying mantis stuff to counteract the vol love potion. And he spreads that out into the world and people turn into these grotesque praying mantis people that love Morty. So they all go completely wrong. And there's a subplot involving Jerry, uh, where Jerry um, is worried that he's losing his wife, Beth, who's Rick's daughter. He's worried he's losing Beth to someone who works with her. And uh, so he decides to go and, and, like, you know, fight for his wife. And that's when all these praying mantis people come up. And then he starts, like, killing all these praying mantis people with a crowbar. And he becomes kind of like Mad Max. And this, of course, is the thing that Beth has been waiting to see in Jerry. So Beth and Jerry's marriage, you know, gets fixed. And Summer is just stuck with them, I guess. Um, and so Rick and Morty are trying to solve the praying mantis problem. And so he comes up with another concoction of just animals, as far as I can remember. And he sprills that concoction out, convinced it's going to fix everyone. And before he does, he goes, you know, Morty, I hate to tell you I told you so, but, you know, this is all your fault. Um, and <laughs> and then he says, like, don't you want to just enjoy this. He goes, it's a nightmare. It's like, don't you want to enjoy it before we turn it all back to normal? Like, nothing else is it. This is it. This is the, once we, everything goes back to normal, we don't have to do it now. We can do it later. He's like, I'm just doing it, Rick. And he pulls the lever and he puts out the new mutagen and everyone's cured. Yay. And then suddenly they're not cured and then they turn into, as they call them, Cronenbergs. They become these grotesque, hideous, inside out people, monsters just everywhere. And Rick and Morty are just looking at this world. It's completely ruined. Everyone is Cronenberg. It's horrible. And he goes, oh, geez, Rick, you got, you got to do something about this, Rick. And, and Rick's like, nah, I, I got an idea. I got an idea. Give me a minute. It's going to take some work. Cut to 
everything's normal, Rick goes, yeah, I did it, I'm great, I'm a genius, I'm great, now give me that screwdriver, Morty, so I can finish my machine, they go, okay, Rick, and he does, they fix the machine, the machine explodes, killing both of them, at which point through a portal, Rick and Morty that we've been watching this whole time, step through, and they go, oh, what's going on, it's like, this is a parallel world, it's exactly like the other one, everything's exactly the same, except... In this universe, I solved the problem, then died. We can just take these people's places. No one will notice. It's totally fine. And then they dig up graves in their backyard and put themselves in those graves. <laughs> like, that's it, done. And now Morty is living in a parallel world, right, where he didn't destroy everything, right? And Rick is like, really, this is all your own fault for him. Um, you know, wanting a roofie potion, basically. And he's like, so that's... You can just hand me the screwdriver. Just hand me... The, it's like, by the way, you know, if, if I had saved everyone, we'd have wound up like these two dead. So thank me for that as well. The fact that I couldn't save the other world is a good thing, because if I had, I would have killed myself by blowing up the... It's just, Rick does have some great lines in the episode, but the one where they're flying over the Cronenberg monstrosity is like see there you go Morty now you get your big I told you so moment you're welcome <laughs> exactly um, and so uh, and so I think that's I think that's good I like that um, okay so we'll come back to Rick Potion momentarily yes uh, I'm now going to introduce the section that we have uh, I will title Bass's supposed problem with Rick and Morty <laughs> oh, I see. This is the, the I section see. where you outline your problem with the show. I see how it is now. Yep. This has become a sort of argumentative podcast. Once we are in sync, now it's war. I get it. C'est la guerre. Okay. My problem with the show is... And- this is not every episode of the show, is it? No, Rick Potion is an example of that not being the case. Yeah. But the reason I think Rick Potion works is I, I was watching the show, uh, and what I did is before I started watching, I asked people to tell me, you know, the best way to get into it. And people would give me their favourite episodes, and I watched those. And I'm kind of wondering what I would have thought if I'd seen this episode first. Right. If it might have just changed my view of it. Because the first episode I saw was the Interdimensional Cable episode. Which that I is not one to start with. Yeah, I, I didn't. I thought it was almost offensive um, to watch people animate random improv skits. Yeah. Um, I just thought that's so, like, lazy. It's just so lazy. Because when the idea of it, I really liked. Oh, you've got a cable. You can watch all these in, in, infinite worlds. The TV show. I'm like, oh, so we're going to see plays on things that we have in our yeah. world, but how they would play out in. in, in and it's just random totally random nonsense that makes no sense even within the skit itself mm. and then you'd have a bit where the voice actor whoever it would be at that moment breaks and starts laughing because they're clearly making stuff up and it's like that's an outtake it's not that's not what you would put in the show mm. um and the problem i had with the show was it was this constant sense of um it would give you a premise and then it would break its own premises and um fundamentally it felt just very undisciplined and lazy a lot of the writing um and the inconsistencies weren't like um a looney tunes cartoon um it was sort of upsetting to watch people that were doing these things and i'm sitting there and every time all i'm thinking to myself is if you had stuck with this premise what could you have produced 
And the reason I thought that was when I saw the second interdimensional cable episode, all the cable stuff was really uninteresting. But the Jerry stuff with the penis transplant was fantastic. It was really funny. Um, I'd never seen that before. And they motivated Jerry to <laughs> to that ridiculous point. I'm like, this is absurd and it's wonderful. You know, I thought that's great. And then I would watch episodes and they kept doing things like that where they would cheat themselves out of a good storyline. And... Um, and it would just, it, it kind of just uh, irked me because it would, it, I couldn't get into a world where you can tell that the people doing it are just improving, okay? And they're not really cutting things. And when they hit, when they hit a brick wall, the first thing they do is basically find a way to show that it's not a brick wall and they just jump out of the out of the world that they've created. It's kind of like, you know, when we used to do improvisation stuff, there's a thing you're not supposed to do, which is called you're not supposed to block the other person mm. almost, right? You, you don't say no, you don't do this. But the other thing you don't do is you don't turn and talk to the audience. In, when you improv, you're not supposed to corpse. It's okay if you do in a live performance once in a while, but you're not supposed to, Yeah. right? You're supposed to keep that world somewhat... Uh, uh, consistent and immersive because if you don't then the audience kind of can't it's very superficial they can't really get into it uh, because you keep breaking it it reminds me of something Calvin and Hobbes did um, Bill Watterson who did Calvin and Hobbes originally he wanted to have Calvin address the audience Calvin and Hobbes he wanted them to address the audience and talk to the audience and before he even did the first script uh, first uh, strip rather he realised it was a huge mistake because the only way you, you couldn't... The whole point of the sh thing was you're supposed to buy into Calvin's imaginary world. And you can't do that if Calvin keeps reminding you that it's a comic strip. Mm. And Rick and Morty, they do this thing constantly where they're getting you into a world. Rick is doing things. They're creating these environments that are really sort of like... Um, tough areas for the characters to be in to get out of and so on and then what they do is they go well it's a tv show um and it's random sci-fi stuff so here we go and they've kind of built into their world an endless series of sort of science scientific deus ex machinas and they just bring them in whenever they whenever the writing gets tough mm. and to me it's like that is really lazy writing and what you've done is you've all that adrenaline that you built up by building that storyline to a point where you go how are these characters going to get out of this what's going to happen next and so on all that adrenaline you sacrifice any potential truly hilarious moment or moment of great insight for a really superficial giggle and you do that because it's easier than running yourself out of the corner you put yourself in and I just I find that really sort of uninteresting to watch and so I was sitting there watching Rick and Morty going like if they stuck with this if they really rolled up their sleeves and just said there are things we can't do because they say to themselves infinite worlds infinite possibilities right say so, no there are certain things we cannot do we can't it's violate self-imposed self rules yeah creative restrictions yeah 
how good would they do it? And I thought Rick Potion was a really good example. And there's actually other episodes than Rick Potion uh, that are very good as well. But this was the first one that I saw. Yeah. And I thought, this is great. I mean, we did a whole episode of Better Call Saul talking about one of the reasons Better Call Saul is as good as it is is because Breaking Bad is the most incredible creative restriction <laughs> anyone has ever tried to write for. Yeah. They have to... I actually just recently rewatched the episode, the first episode where Saul shows up. And... I, I'm I'm looking at it, and you could call that episode instead of calling it Better Call Saul. You could call that episode "Where's Jimmy." I I, see, I, do, I can't see any of Jimmy in him. I don't know what's happened to that character, right? He's changed more than Walt ever did. His his arc is way more right, and so the creative restrictions are so important. <clears throat> so I'm watching the show, and I'm like, if only they just like if they stuck. If because the thing is they're setting their own rules. I'm not if they don't want to have rules. If they want to be more Looney Tunes or whatever, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just if you're gonna set it's it's really hard to build that up if you know that there's this Deus Ex Machina escape. This is in fact they even mentioned this in Rick, Rick Potion number nine uh, because when when uh, Rick takes them to a parallel world and says here you know we can just take over here he says we can't do this every week we can only do this three four times that's it. Right, and that's kind of a nod to the audience, going like, "We're not going to pull this trick out every time something yeah. happens." But for me, I thought the reason that was such a good out for it was not because oh they can do that every week. Um, in fact, I wouldn't mind if they did that more often because the point of it is not oh they got out by this. It's how has this really affected Morty. Hmm. The shift of attention goes from the external, oh, the Cronenberg world, isn't this horrific, to the nightmare now is solely in Morty's mind. Morty has done this horrible, horrible thing, and this horrible world has been created by the two of them, and now he's going to pretend it didn't happen. And how's that going to change? And you're slowly watching Morty change as a result, right? So even if they keep changing the exterior world, the interior world of the characters can remain consistent. And so, do you see what I mean? Mm. So it's not actually that horrible a deus ex machina in that sense. But again, it's that thing of like... You... Well, the, the the point of the deus ex machina is that it robs a story of meaning. Exactly, and this there doesn't. Is, this, this doesn't. No, it doesn't. In fact, with <clears throat> the, ran, the, the sort of random get out clause at the end that yeah. you know makes everything better, kind of air quotes, makes everything worse to a nightmarish level exactly in uh, fact it's the only thing that could have been worse than the Cronenberg world is <laughs> it being real but not real yeah so right? it's like yeah it's something that but you know it's, you're on your own now no one else is going to know you did it and, yeah yeah and and also like the thing about um which by the way sorry brings about the biggest laugh of the episode for me, anyway, because you ha you have this purely innocent character driven to this. Like, he yeah. buries himself. Yeah, the burying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the burying himself. Like, oh, it's like it's really right. dark. Right? Yeah. It's like, oh, it goes to a. It goes, yeah, <laughs> it's incredibly dark. But I mean, that for, it's it's the Scott Tenerman episode. Yeah, it goes to this level that it hadn't previously done. That's like, by the way. For, oh, the, this is, yeah, for those who don't know, Scott Tenerman. That's a reference to South Park, where South Park. <laughs> we should do an episode on the Scott Tenerman episode. I, th I thought we were going to. We should. <laughs> we should. Okay. We should because that's yeah. That's one where that show took a turn. Uh, season five of South Park, and that's when Cartman revealed himself to be the greatest villain of all time. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, in the in the context of the show, not yeah. that episode. You just <laughs> went, oh. 
oh, this is what South Park can do. This is yeah, okay. yeah, This is how far this show can yeah. go, right? Um, and so, yeah, so the thing is that this, the, the, the thing about Rick and Morty is they know that because he does all this random science stuff, essentially Rick is a walking deus ex machina. Like, the writers are smart enough to know that they can basically have Rick do anything they want to get out of any story at any time. Right? He yeah, can have any because machine. He can, because he can do anything he wants to get into any story right. at any time. And their solution to that is to have Rick tell the audience that he's, he can do this stuff and to make jokes about the fact that that's what they've accidentally done. They reference the fact it's cheap, right? Yeah. They do, and to my mind, saying it's cheap and lazy doesn't mean it isn't anymore. It is, right? And my <laughs> you feeling get a is, laugh out of it, yeah, for sure. My but... feeling is the solution is, you know, you you have to change what you you have to like focus on like fixing that problem. Which mm. is, if Rick can really do everything, you've got a huge problem there. You've got a problem when you go. We could go to any infinite world, any of this. You, when you haven't got any restrictions, you don't write new creative stuff. You write cliches, mm. and you write metatextual things that are really sort of, uh, kind of almost insufferable after a while because it's just I know I'm watching a show. You don't have to keep reminding me, right? So, um, I, but but I really again I really liked Rick Potion because it just. It just, it did what that penis transplant story did. It did that thing of just like, it didn't cut away from the plot to just suddenly jump ahead to another point. It didn't just hand wave away. It was like, this thing happens, then this happens. But because of that, therefore this, boom, 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 to wrote... a final climax that was irrevocable. It's, a, it's, a, it's not like he just goes, oh, we're back to the status quo. It's not the status quo. He's, he's cuckooed. Right, he's in the cuckoo thing, yeah. where he's just gone into another world and pretended. Was it you that told me about the um, the the treatment trick? I mean, not a treatment you'd show anybody, but for your own uh, reference, where it, where you write a, a scene like character tries to do X, mm. but no, that's from the South Park guys. That's from, that's from Matt, Park, Matt and Trey. Yeah, they were talking about this to a bunch of writers in a writing class, and they were like, "I'm sure you guys have heard this," and like, "No one's heard this." Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, their, their whole thing was you do a scene and instead of going and then the scene, you either go but next scene or therefore next scene. And the idea is, is by focusing on but and therefore and not and, you create a sense of inherent causality between your yeah. scenes because every scene leads into the next. Something happens, but this happens. Therefore, this happens. But this happens. But this happens, yeah. therefore this happens, therefore this happens. And so it creates a story as opposed to just a random series of events. And, uh, and the, but So what the point I was making was that if you um, if you plotted out yeah. this episode, it's just textbook. Yeah. They try to do this, but this happens. Therefore but, but they happened. try to do this, but this happens. Exactly. It's got gaps. Expect it. it just yeah. works. It's a really nice story. And the gaps get bigger as the episode the, exactly, goes. Exactly. And it gets crazier. And then finally at the end, it's like how they're going to get out of this. And the obvious answer is, Rick creates a potion that saves everyone, right? Yeah. Which is very dull, but they went for a much darker, more insightful... Well, he's already ending. tried to create two potions, yeah. right? so they went for a really... In- we know the potion will not satisfy points yeah. of no return, right? We just know it won't satisfy. He has to do something that he hasn't done before. And what does he do? He goes and says, yeah, we're going to pretend we're these Rick and Mortys, and that's the end of it. And so, oh, that's dark. That's twisted. The fact that Rick doesn't care. Rick has clearly done this before. Yeah. <laughs> Right, 
and Morty can't really process this and Morty now has to deal with that it's like that this whole Cronenberg thing was not about saving the world it was about the humanity of these two characters essentially yeah. and it's funny it's funny it's like that's a good funny story and it's and I just, and also what's great is once they did that they couldn't then pretend they never did and they referenced the graves yeah. they referenced the fact that this is not Morty's original home and they bring that back again and again. I'm like, that's great. You've, that's now a thing you can't pretend didn't happen. Yeah. That's not a thing that you can hand wave away. That's a real thing. And now that's something to latch onto. They're building something at the moment that I'm really liking <clears throat> in the show, which is Evil Morty. Yes. I really like the concept of this Evil Morty, but I'm sitting there and I'm just thinking, I don't see how this will be satisfying to pay off eventually. But I like the idea of it. Yeah. Um, and that's often a lot of the things with Rick and Morty. I like the idea, but like the Citadel of Ricks, for example, I just don't think works at all. Let's. But then just another thing. So, <laughs> what this seems a good point to sidestep to. Um, so, using Rick Potion as an example of creative restrictions yeah. used to uh, propel the story um, and sticking to those rules in spite of your infinite possibilities. Yeah. Um, using an episode as a counterpoint where the the wheels come off and it goes random, Pickle Rick. Yeah, Pickle Rick. It starts... I remember I was kind of towards the end of my tether with the show <laughs> and people were talking... I was, uh, I was right on the cusp of, like, I think I'm done with the show. Like, if you follow me on Twitter, I was tweeting about how I'm pretty much done with the show, right? And Pickle Rick came out. And everyone was going, Pickle Rick! And everyone was like, it's going to be the... It's like the hallmark of the show. I'm like, okay. Let's give this a watch. And I started watching it. And they the family comes into the garage because they're all about to go for family counselling. And you can hear Rick's sort of disembodied voice. And you're like, where's it coming from? Like, I'm on the table, Morty! It's like, what was going on? And there's a pickle on the table. And he turns over the pickle and the pickle has Rick's face. And he's like, I'm a pickle, Morty! I pickle Rick! Like that. And you're like, wait, what is going on? And I didn't laugh at that moment. But when they point out that there's a syringe above him that's clearly filled with anti-pickle Rick serum and it's set to come down and stab him in 10 minutes after they've left, right? The idea being that this entire thing is to get out of counselling. And it's not because of science, it's just to get out of counselling. And then they take away the syringe. I'm like, oh, that's, that's very funny. I wonder where this is going. And then you watch the show... And you just watch Rick end up in the sewers as a cat comes after him, just gets worse, and he's stuck as a pickle, and he can't do anything. He's a pickle, right? What can he do? And then he tricks a uh, cricket, and he eats a cricket's brains. Uh, you know? Cockroach. Cockroach, bigger pun, right? That whole thing, I'm like, this is great. This is this is great. And like they will cut to the counselor's office, and I'm like, it's kind of interesting to watch Beth kind of have to accept the fact that she kind of her problems with her dad well, whatever I don't really care I'm, I want to get back to Pickle Rick they cut back to Pickle Rick and he's like and he's doing this it's just he's just so trapped in this pickle body and I'm like this is brilliant for eight minutes and then it fell apart as soon as he gets that moment where he gets into that carapace cockroach mecha suit yeah after that I'm just like no you've lost it you've just totally lost it um, and then they have that whole Jaguar story. And I was just sitting there going, this could be any episode of Rick and Morty. Any episode of Rick and Morty can have Rick be a secret 
guy that the government is is scared of and so they send Jaguar to kill him. Any episode could be about this. Any episode could have Rick in this situation. But you had this whole episode built on the premise. It's called Pickle Rick. The whole episode is built on the premise. Rick is a pickle. How does Rick handle being a pickle? How Rick is literally in a pickle, right? Like, how is he getting out of it? This kind of stuff. All to avoid counselling. That's the premise of this show. And then they do this random Jaguar stuff. And he's running around in that carapace suit and everything. And it's just like... This has nothing to do with what you were doing before. You've you've abandoned your own show halfway through. Right? And then when they finally get back to the counselling office thing and he wants the serum. And, I mean, the whole thing in the counselling is Beth refuses to accept that Rick did this in order to get out of counselling, right? And she won't accept that the syringe in her suit is the anti-pickle serum. She won't accept it. That's the whole thing with that, right? And I'm just sitting there, and I, I mean, I just lost all interest because the, when when you're watching a show and the writers of the show lose interest in their own show, I just wonder why I'm why I'm being inflicted with it. Do you know what I mean? It just it feels rude. So in my mind, Pickle Rick, the first eight minutes, I think, and I and what annoys me more is the first eight minutes of Pickle Rick are really good. It's not like, oh, they're kind of... No, that's really good stuff. It's well-written. It's smart. It's funny. <laughs> right? And then and then they just give up. And that's why I really liked Rip Potion. Uh, I really also liked... There was another one I liked, um, which was the one with Fart. The sentient gas cloud. Um, yeah, I can't remember. Can't remember I liked that one. That one was another one that was just... Um, where Morty saves someone a, a, a gas cloud from being assassinated, and uh, as a result, lots and lots more people die. And it turns out that this gas cloud is intending to kill all of reality. And everything. and I say that was nicely done. It was well done. It was well told from start to finish. Um, it had a, it had just like a, it was a good, interesting story that built over time. Um, and there are a couple of episodes like that. The the purge episode I thought was pretty good for that reason as well. Um, I thought a few of their um, uh, a few of the kind of more satirical episodes were good. I really liked in season three one of the ones I have seen the um, the Thunderdome episode. I yeah, was nice. that wasn't bad. Mm. I thought that was quite good as well. Yeah, you're right. That wasn't bad. <laughs> when Morty's arm has a plot. Yeah, Mar- Morty's arm has a plot, and the whole like you yeah. know like <laughs> the arms talking to him and stuff. That was cute. Um, yeah, because the show, it's not like the show is terrible, but I, I, I think, I, I mean, I think there was this weird thing where it might just be season two is not very good. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can't remember which episodes I was watching, yeah. but because well, I saw them out of them. order I and everything. you them out of order as well. So uh, I have this, so I can't, I, it might be possible. This is why I was saying, like, you know, it would have been nice to have started. But I remember when I wasn't liking it, I was like, okay, I'm going to start from the beginning. I'm just going to start watching it from the beginning give it a shot and I didn't like the first episode at all um, and it was it felt it felt very like I'm gonna that. I'm gonna reference the point I made at the beginning of the episode you've watched it all I have I think deep down there's some there's kind of stuff, love, you, there's there's some stu- love that, you have for this show there's, there's some stuff I, I, lo- I really like a lot of the elements of like the playfulness between Rick and Morty. Ah, Morty, Morty, ah, ah, 
I'm a pickle Morty. I'm a pickle Morty. I'm Tiny Rick. Like all that stuff. I was like, this is funny. This is fun. This is good. I'm enjoying it. And then why did you, why, what's Jaguar? What's would going you be, on? Would you be willing to see to the fact then that this is a show you like that has moments where you're like, I just can't be doing with that moment. Could we tip the balance in the favour of, Mm, I don't know because I'll tell you why there's one episode I don't know it's better than no I'm, I'll tell you why <laughs> there's I'm one episode left of season 3 that I'll probably watch and then I genuinely don't know if I'll watch Rick and Morty ever again um, because then it's, then I'm up to date and I've gone through it and I can't see myself re-watching Rick and Morty much I haven't I, re-watched much I mean I, I don't know I don't know it's it's just one of those shows where it's like I I I look at it and I'm like, I think this could have been... It's, I don't know if it's like I like it or if I like the idea of what I think it could have been. Do you know what I mean? No, because I think, you know, you like the idea of what Star Trek Discovery might have been and yet... <laughs> Let's not talk about that. <laughs> Let's not pull up that thread. That's okay. different. That's that's a different. That's a whole different paradigm. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's... 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 Okay, I should I shouldn't have. Um, let's move on. <laughs> the side of my face. Let's move on to Futurama. Okay, because Futurama has very similar a similar issue in that yeah. it has infinite possibilities. Yeah, they, they, this whole idea of like, well, they can do any story they want. Actually, what you realize is they don't do any story they want. They generally do the same story repeated again and again and again. And generally, the story is 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 quite superficial. Um, Rick and Morty. And Futurama kept recycle, keep recycling the exact same storyline again and again and again. They just change the superficial traits so people yeah. think it looks it looks like it's really different, but actually it's not. Um, and when they do episodes, which are really unique, they stand out like gems. Yeah. Right. So Futurama, one of the best episodes of Futurama is the Snoo Snoo episode. I was going to reference that right? as the best episode. It might actually be the best episode. <laughs> it's 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 certainly it's certainly the funniest with the whole like I had Snoo Snoo. And it has some of the best lines in it. There's the line where Zap Brannigan is crashing the the bistro into uh, <laughs> into the planet. He goes she looks like a steakhouse but she handles like a small bistro. Like what kind <laughs> of a line is that? You win again gravity and all this stuff and you know, then the, they're forced to have the sex with the giant Amazon women, and he's like, "Ladies, please, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is spongy and bruised." Right? I, I say that at least once a week. Uh, so, not so, in that context, though. I, I, I was, I wasn't going to bring that up. I, I presume, like, if we just get went past it, only after it left my mouth did I realise what, what I may have implied. Yeah, yeah, that's a good implication. Um, but. Yeah, so the Snoo Snoo episode's just a hilarious episode. Um, one of one of Rick and Morty episodes that I really liked was um, uh, um, uh, the 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 episode with the memory parasites. Do you remember this? Oh episode? yeah, yeah, no, I love that one. That's a great episode. Yeah, the memory parasites. That was brilliant. <laughs> Mr. Poopy Butthole. Yeah. And like you think, like oh, obviously, Mister Poopy Butthole's the obvious parasite, and it turns out he's not parasite. He's like, I'm sorry, I couldn't give you any bad memories. And you're like, oh man, that's really that's so harsh, right? But that's another great one because so okay, the problem with these infinite worlds, we can do whatever we want. As I say, is when you don't have restrictions, you don't, you're not creative. You end up actually writing the most cliche, superficial stuff. Are we arriving at the okay. crux of our episode here? Well, hold on. The <laughs> Mr. Poopy Butthole memory episode sure. 
is them locked in one building for the whole episode. Yeah. They cannot leave the, the house. Yeah. There's no subplots. The whole premise of the episode is these parasites... They way the way they make you think that they've there always been a, there. There is a subplot. What's the Jerry subplot? falls in love, doesn't he? It's it, it's a subplot. It, not I. I don't mean a subplot in the sense of uh, there's nothing else other than the main plot. What I mean is is there's no separate storyline. Jerry, sure every, everyone's yeah, trapped yeah, in the house. Yeah. It's not Jerry's outside of the house doing another yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's inside the house. Everyone is inside the house. Everyone has to steal the parasites. And so what do they do? They pursue the memory parasite thing to its ludicrous. Final moments, right? They go as far as they can with that idea. Um, they first, it's first. Hey, it's my brother Steve. It's like my cousin Nikki, and then it's Mister. Po- and then it's oh, no, it's not Mister. It's all these other weird, crazy things like, um, like the the butler. They have a butler out of nowhere, yeah. and then suddenly they have like an elephant man, and all all these weird things that get weirder and weirder. And Rick, of course, has done the whole like I've written how many of us there's supposed to be. There's supposed to be six, but. There's more than six. It's like, yeah, but we remember how that happened. Oh, really? Do you, Giraffe Boy? And it's like Giraffe Boy tells them a memory of how Rick wrote number six, but without meaning it to mean the number of people that are real. And so now everyone believes that the number isn't true. Like, that's brilliant the way that... And so you have this sort of memory fight between them. And I'm like, this is excellent. This is so good. The way out of it as well. The way out of it, which is that they work out that they can only come up with good memories. Yeah. That's superb. But that's at the point where it isn't Rick about to shoot Morty? No, they're about to kill Rick. They're about to kill Rick. They're about, Morty's about to kill Rick. That's right. And that's when Morty remembers that Rick is horrible to him. Yeah. He's like, hey, we can kill everyone who doesn't give us bad memories. And that great joke being that Mr. Poopy Butthole is not only real, but their best friend. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, um, and so that is a superb episode. And when you sit down and go, why is that episode like a gem? in that show why is the snoo snoo episode it's because that episode they've got a, a world that's small enough that they can build out of it right they have to come up think about it this way they have to come up with jokes that can only happen in the memory wiping the the memory parasite episode yeah. they can only come up with jokes in the snoo snoo episode so the jokes in them are better because those jokes have real adrenaline to build them up because what makes you laugh is the momentum towards the laugh. Mm. You can't just get a full raucous belly laugh from nowhere. It has to be built up. This is a difference we've mentioned in previous episodes, I'm sure, where um, it's the difference between a family guy laugh and, like, say, a South Park laugh or, or a Philly, Philly laugh yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Arrested Development laugh, yeah. right? Like, Arrested Development would do these kind of jokes, adrenaline-built jokes like that, over seasons. Yeah. Right? To the point now where you cry with laughter when you see the setup and George Senior goes, I may have committed some light trees. <laughs> it's just like that's brilliant. Or when Joe Which is that... a meme I'm seeing a lot in the yeah. Trump administration. <laughs> it's so true though. And like things that Job gets up to and and you're like, wow. So and and also this was the case for Faulty Towers. It's true for every comedy. Um well, um, you know, it's, because it's true of storytelling in general. The greatest rush of insights and stories come from ones that have the most effective setups. Mm. That's how that works, right? So, well, I made a note earlier that it, it, now's a good time to bring up, and it, it's it strikes me that um, the best laughs when it with with comedic characters, the best laughs you can get are when you push that character to the 
to the absolute end of the line to, yeah. the, to the to the the weirdest the most wonderful yeah. the darkest place right but has to be it seems to be it has to be in direct um relation to whatever that blind obsession is yeah so if a character does this um and then at the end of the ep- or just before that climax turns around and looks at the camera and says it's okay infinite possibilities or yeah. whatever that moment's lost it's you gone. need them locked in that reality that, that's right? what yeah that's what i said earlier right when i said like you have all that momentum build up and instead of going for the big laugh you've gone for a giggle because it's easier to get the giggle than it is to get the big laugh yeah but then if you don't want the big laugh don't build up for it if you want just giggles go for giggles but you know what i mean it's mm. it's uh, it's 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 just the problem is uh, the people behind Rick and Morty. When you, I look at the writing, I just I, I keep thinking that word. It just feels lazy, like they put themselves moments these... moments moments feel do that way. yeah. And when they don't, when they when they sit down and they just do the work, they come up with brilliant things like the memory parasite episode and the Rick potion episode and the first half of Pickle Rick. These are great. Hmm. These are really great, and what's brilliant is they're specific to the show. They're the character specific and world specific. And when you and same with Futurama, and when you go, we can have infinite worlds, infinite possibilities. You have the irony is you don't create an infinite series of possibilities. You actually condense all your possibilities to whatever you happen. To, it's just whatever's lived on the top of your brain hmm. at that time. It's not. It's just. It's. It's never. It's never a great way to make it work. And um, a really great example, because uh, we're talking about Futurama, The Simpsons, right? The Simpsons, you know, I mentioned Calvin and Hobbes. He can never talk to the audience. Mm. That's a rule. Like in Bill Watson, uh, Watson's mind, I can do loads of jokes, but one joke I can never oh, do. I love the, um, this is only sidestepping slightly, the list of rules that you posted once on Twitter for um, Roadrunner. Right. Okay. Chuck Jones. Right. Yeah. Had a list of rules, like twelve rules of what can happen in a Roadrunner story. Yeah. Uh, and these are very famous ones that you can see. In, uh, Chuck Jones was very open about them. But like you know, why this is Roadrunner? It's Roadrunner, right. right? So you see what I'm saying? Like Roadrunner is a six minute short. It's completely absurd, and he has these series of rules that cannot be violated. And so when someone goes well, Futurama, they can do whatever they want. You're Rick and Morty, they can do whatever they want. It's like that's a disastrous right. way to start because you are going to. All you're doing is making it impossible for you to reach your true um, potential. Like the ten percent of you that's capable of writing, you know, the memory parasite episode or the Rick Potion episode, right? That that part of you that's capable of doing it, your whole point of your writing process is to get that to happen as much as possible. And when you go, I can do what I want, you've actually undone that. You've made it so that's very hard to access, and so he had this. He had the list, right? Chuck Jones had that had that list. The Roadrunner can never hurt uh, Wiley Coyote, except by saying meep, meep, meep. That's it. And he can't ever hurt him. Well, everything Wiley Coyote does has to hurt himself. Everything he orders has to come from the Acme Company, etc., etc. Yeah. Right? Bugs Bunny. He had a he had a he had a rule for Bugs Bunny, which was Bugs Bunny can never ever start it. He can never start it. It has to be someone else starting on Bugs Bunny because Bugs Bunny is too smart, he's too tough, uh, and he's too good. And if he picks a fight, he becomes a bully. So he has to be picked on. And then that's why he goes, yeah. of course, you know, this means war. Which is what I mentioned earlier. Remember when I went, c'est la guerre? Because there's right. one episode right, <laughs> where he does it in French. I think it, Pepe Le Pew does it, right? Pepe Le Pew had a bunch of uh, laws as well. They all did. 
Daffy, he had he had rules for every single one of those oh, Lincoln's characters. Wonderful. And that's why they're all... I mean, that's why the Chuck Jones ones are the, the, the masterpieces. And Simpsons, they had laws. They used to. They don't anymore, but they used to. And they had certain rules that you couldn't do. And the Treehouse of Horror were always the fun ones where they went, we can break those rules. Hmm. But because they knew which rules they weren't allowed to break, they could break them for Treehouse of Horror. It became this cool event. But now you watch Treehouse of Horror and you're like, isn't this just a regular episode? How is this different? Like, for example, there was one episode where Homer and Apu go to India. Right? And we've got one of those great scenes. Remember, are you really the head of the quickie mind? Yes. Really? Yes. You? Yes. I hope this has been in like like, that thing. (laughs) They had a huge argument over whether or not Homer could go to India. He has a job. He can't afford it. How does he get to India? Right? And so they had this big argument of whether or not Homer could do it. And they were like, okay, this one time, it's really important for the story. He has to do it. Apu pays for it. He can go to India Mm. this one time. Okay. And so they did it. But now, of course, he travels everywhere all the time. They come Mm. up with excuses for it. But that was a big thing. Like, can Homer leave Springfield at all? Right, and so that world was so uh, brilliantly built up. All the characters, everything. There was a consistency, so you could immerse yourself in that world. The world could then build up the momentum, and then the absurdity that happened never broke the immersion of the world, hmm. which is what Rick and Morty does a lot of the time, unfortunately. Um, uh, which is what I think. I think the hallmark of that is Jaguar. Yeah, I think right? that's a good example of that because it. You'd even said to me that's a great eight minutes, um, and I didn't know what happened afterwards. Right. You just said it's a good eight minutes, and then yeah, uh, it's after a, that, yeah. it's 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 no good. And I remember thinking during the big fight, like, just why? Yeah, why when you had such a wonderful premise? Yeah, actually, now that I think th- thinking back over watching it, and you're saying like you like it more than you do, I want to actually like it a lot more than I do because I remember watching the Pickle Rick thing, and I was really excited because I was about to be part of the Rick and Morty gang like I got I got to be with everyone else right? everyone loves the show I can love it too I can love it let's do it this is why I'm so you know proselytizing with Attack on Titan like I want everyone to join me on my lovely walls you know it's like come join me I love this show come love this show and so Rick and Morty everyone's like come back by like, the way another reminder on Titan uh, keep watching yeah because we're going to do season, season two uh, <laughs> <laughs> at some point too I have finished season 2 and oh, oh. <laughs> talk about restrictions right yeah okay. um, but so so the thing is like I, I, so I think I want to like it more than I, I do as opposed to I because I, I, uh, I didn't want to do an episode on Rick and Morty that was attacking Rick and Morty I had to find an episode that I liked it's and Pickle good, Rick it's too good to attack I think, as in, yeah. if you, yeah, if you, I don't like attacking step... stuff. I don't like it. I don't no, like I just. Don't. I don't I like. Don't. I actually don't like telling people. You know that thing you like. Well, here's why I disagree. Like that's no fun for me. <laughs> um, but it's. I, I mean, the whole point of this podcast as well is it's meant to be for people who are writers, right? Yeah. So I'm only doing this to make people understand writing techniques, as opposed to, hey, <laughs> you know that thing you like. Okay. That's a perfect setup then, because um, it brings us on point, but it does skip a topic. So, could you perhaps summarise then what we can learn as writers from Rick and Morty while simultaneously oh, referencing the hero's journey? I see, <laughs> I see. Okay, well, actually, this is no, this is good because I mentioned like this whole point of the podcast is for writers. Okay, and what I'm talking about here, the reason that I have a problem with Rick and Morty, despite the fact that there are certain episodes that I think are very good. Um, and 
the the reason I'm saying is it's about these creative restrictions. And that the problem when Rick and Morty falls down, it's because they hand wave a Deus Ex Machina by either being fourth wall breaking or deliberately gratuitous with the science fiction, right? To get out of a story because they don't know what's coming next. They can't work it out, okay? And when they don't do that, when they force themselves into a situation which requires them to dig deep and find the humor and find the insights into their characters and their world, which is one of the reasons Evil Morty is so interesting because the insight Evil Morty gives us into Morty is what's interesting about it, right? Mm. Um, And the idea that possibly Evil Morty is Rick's first Morty, his original Morty, uh, that kind of stuff, right, Um, is very interesting. Uh, Those restrictions, they make you more creative, they get you inside the characters, people get more interested. And when you don't have those restrictions, it goes awry. But the worst, but perhaps even worse than that maybe, is coming up with restrictions that are... (laughs) going to mess you around and one of the problems is i found this out dan Harmon is a huge advocate of the story uh the the hero's journey story and he you can see him on youtube and he'll talk about how every episode fits the kurt vonnegut story wheel i think it's kurt vonnegut who came up with this it's this wheel of like with 12 spokes on it and you know spoke one is journey not campbell no campbell came up with the journey but he didn't formulate it as a circle type thing. Oh, okay. You see, Campbell came up with the hero's journey as an anthropological study. And then George Lucas, with Star Wars, said he just used Campbell's hero's journey as a template to write his story. And then that meant, created this idea, all stories, because Campbell said all stories are essentially the monomyth, right? Mm. But it was never meant to be a writing thing. It was supposed to be for anthropology, okay? So he wrote it anthropologically. He didn't see any repercussions beyond that, right? George Lucas said, hey, I did Star Wars with it. Star Wars is the sort of the foundation of imagination for Western kids, basically, right? (laughs) And so this then became, the hero's journey then became this writer's Bible. And then I believe Kurt Vonnegut, I think that's his name, I think I've got that right, wrote a a book called The Story the the writer's journey i believe it's called in which he took campbell's work and transformed it into a how to write book and i believe that's where the graphs and the story circle and all that stuff comes from okay and the story circle i think i might have this slightly confused i hope i haven't and the story circle is this sort of 12 spoked thing and like spoke one call to adventure spoke two refusal of the call crossing the first threshold returning this you know, returning the Alexia and all that stuff, and it goes around. And the problem, and Dan Harmon really, really adheres to it. He, 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 he can't. You know, he, everything he writes has got to fit that form. And the problem with that form is it's not true. It's really not true, and um, it's just it, it's not true in any. It, it's if it's true, it's trivial, <laughs> and if it's false, it's significant. Basically, yeah. because the problem is is when uh, Campbell was talking about crossing the first threshold and call to adventure and all this stuff, he was using specific terms for very specific events, right? People literally getting the call to adventure. And what's become of that is people now go, well, actually, actually, it's metaphorical and allegorical and symbolic, 
but you're making allegories and metaphors and symbols of storytelling tools from thousands of years ago. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so now it doesn't really mean anything. For example, the belly of the whale uh, is is one of those conventions and stuff. And I, I mean, I sat down and I was I was breaking apart the hero's journey to try and understand it. And you very quickly realize that in any way where you apply the hero's journey to certain events in myths and then try to give the same title to events outside of myth, you very quickly realize that you are robbing the titling of those conventions of any meaning. Okay? Uh, so, you know, I'll give you an example of what I mean. Um, what is the elixir of life in Macbeth? Or Hamlet, right? It, it just doesn't apply. Yeah. And if you try to say, well, the Alexia is this, what's the first threshold in Macbeth? Like, seriously, what's what's the um, belly of the whale in Macbeth? What, when he gets attacked by the forest of Dunsinane? Seriously? That's the belly of the whale? That's not even... There's nothing equivalent. You see what I mean? Yeah. It becomes really, really... It becomes... What it, what it becomes is the, 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 the language being used is an over-exaggeration of triviality, right? To make it seem more important than it is, you call it the belly of the whale, right? To hearken this imagery of how it's important, Moby Dick, right? The Bible, mm, belly of the whale. And yet you're using it to mean any time something bad happens and they're kind of a bit trapped, right? Uh, does Macbeth really refuse the call? Is that what you mean by if it's true, it's trivial? Yeah, that's what I mean. If it's true, okay, this is you want to say that that's the belly of the whale. It's trivial because what you really mean by the belly of the whale is any time someone's a bit trapped. Right. But you're ignoring all the elements of context around it. You're ignoring all kinds of aspects such as unconscious desire, conscious desire, etc., etc., etc. And um, now Robert McKee in a recent uh, works doesn't work. He was talking about Game of Thrones. Yeah. And he was saying that, you know, myths, heroes' journeys are never comedies. Uh, and he goes on for a reason why. And Dan Harmon here is using heroes' journeys to write comedies. And my feeling is they're both slightly... Bob's, Bob's slightly inaccurate here, only in this sense. Um, he's right. Myths, by and large, never comedies. He says the trickster characters, but they're not comedies. But that's not because they can't be because there are <laughs> modern day myths that are comedic such as Happy Gilmore Happy Gilmore is the hero's journey completely right completely he has a mentor the mentor dies everything right it's like he's a full on hero's journey but it's hilarious okay and it's not that there's something inherent in myth that prevents it from being funny um, but um, but Dan Harmon is now using this form to tell comedy and this is a form that quite rightly has traditionally never been comedic so how is what's he doing here and you realize that the problem is when people are prescriptive in the sense that they demand art has to fit the form rather than going the other way around so for example i make these exhaustive lists that you love okay you know, I make it, I make whenever I make a list of things, it's always exhaustive. Like, I, oh yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. You, I, I exhaust all the possibilities, and you yeah. go, well, how do you do that? And I'm like, the trick is, you have to f create a foundation from which to generate the permutations. Yeah. You can't just create permutations because if you just start making lists of things, right? This is what I learned trying to study genre. Okay, you start studying something, and you make a list of all the samples that you can see. 
and then you try to create a patchwork from them and that won't work. You have to create the foundation from which things blossom. It's like you need the root for yeah. the branches to come out. If you try to count the branches, you'll never come up the tr- understand the tree properly. Okay. To boil that down into a sentence you've used before, um, uh, talking about genre, uh, genres don't make demands of your stories, you make demands of the genre. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. So, I remember bo- uh, we were deciding what film to use for the action lecture to screen, and we came up with a list, and I went... I think I forget whose decision it was, but we picked Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. And I broke it down and I sat there and I couldn't understand something. It has four negative act climaxes, then a positive one. And if you read story by Mickey, he makes it very clear. You can't just keep repeating the same turning point. Hmm. You have to change it. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, I must have missed a positive act climax. Or maybe one of these is actually positive, it's not really negative. And I sat there for ages trying to find the positive climax. Then I went or it's just four negative at climaxes and it works because they're inherently varied this doesn't violate anything bob teaches it's just a different way of doing it Mm. so then i sat down with bob and we watched the film together and we broke it down scene by scene together there are a couple of discrepancies over specific scenes but by and large at the end i'm like that's four negative at climax and he goes it's brilliant (laughs) and he goes i love it because i i people always think i teach formula and i never do I teach form. I love it when these things happen. This is brilliant. And it's like, this is great. I've learnt something new. The problem when you look at the hero's journey and then try to find stories to fit that formula, what you end up doing is you can never learn anything because everything you find in life fits the hero's journey. And anything that doesn't, you warp either the hero's journey or the story to fit it. And we found this out with Breaking Breaking Bad, Bad, right? Break it, uh, I found it here as a, a blog post saying uh, or detailing why Breaking Bad, the whole story, was perfectly the hero's journey. Yeah. And you knew that it was a warping when you got to, um, what's the bit in the hero's journey? Is it the respite? The respite, something like yeah, that. Yeah. Some, uh, and they said, the fly episode is clearly that. It's an episode that doesn't achieve anything. It's just a bit of a bimble around with some laughs and then on yeah. they move. And we kind of hopefully proved in the fly episode of the podcast that it's just dripping with subtext it's so stressful yeah that episode it's so it's uh, the episode is essentially it's more the belly of the whale (laughs) than it is the respite right no you just proved him but you know what i mean right (laughs) right so it's you see what i'm saying it's like he completely misunderstood that episode not because the episode is unclear but because it had to fit that form. Right. And so that's the thing. So you can't learn. I watch the, the, the way McKee uh, teaches it. And, you know, because I essentially have, you know, I've learned from him. Right. The way it works is you've got tools and a basic form and that's it. And then it's malleable from which you can do what you want. And so every time I break something down, you learn something new. And I've done this over and over and over again. I've done this in lecture. I've done this with you. I've done this with Will. I've sat down with people and broken a film scene by scene. And every time people walk away and they feel like they've learnt an enormous amount of material. Right? Yeah, yeah. And there's never... And they knew everything about the form before they went in and studied it. Right? But they still learned. Hero's Journey stuff doesn't happen. It's the complete other way around. You know everything, and all you have to do now is how good are you at breaking a story down to fit those things. And at the same time, I was talking about exhaustiveness, right? Why is there 12? Right. 
Why isn't like, it 13 or 14? I like what seven. you just said because I think that's uh, that perfectly sums up the problem. To make it fit, you either warp the hero's journey or you warp the story that yeah. you're trying to make fit. Yeah. Because the match just doesn't work, it, right? It can't happen for every single story that uh, ever written. So so Rick and Morty um has this problem where the chief writer adheres to this this thing and I wouldn't be surprised if some of the times the reasons we get deus ex machinas and things like that is so that he can somehow fit into that form. Potentially, but now we're supposing. I'm supposing. I couldn't, I can't, I can't, uh, that's why I said I'm guessing, right? Yeah. But the thing is, like, you know, I'm talking about the problems of infinities and stuff, and I'm like, restrictions are important, but at the same time, you can't just have arbitrary restrictions that warp your writing to, you, you, the, the, the restrictions should be there to bring out the best story, not to stifle the story, right? And people to get away from the stifling at all throw out the restrictions entirely, and then they write nothing good. You need to ha- you, and that's you need to actually be able to recognize the quality of restrictions inherently, and that comes with taste, judgment, experience, and so on. And that's what I mean. Medical Saul was able to do. Can we? Yes. Just pretend that before that last sentence I said, so what can we take for our own writing? This whole section was you You started with you saying... Yeah, that. but that's the that's the little nugget that we wanted. That's the bit we were digging for, Bass. I see. That was your character arc. That was my character arc, yeah. was it? Okay. <laughs> it's my character arc now, buddy. That's my arc. There's my sauce. There's <laughs> Right? So, anyway, so, um, yeah. There's lots of good episodes of Rick and Morty. Uh, and there, really that you do like it. I, and secretly, I, I I do. I just can't handle it. Uh, that's what it is. I can't handle that. that I really do love it completely. Um, you have what you have watched, watched more episodes of Rick and Morty than you read pages of one of my favourite books that I've read in my adult life. There's a difference. No, no. There's no. Nah, do you know nah. why I stopped reading the Lives of Locke and Mora? <laughs> why? Because I wanted to forget what I'd read so I could start again from fresh. Because I knew I wasn't following it. Okay. That's why. And have you started fresh? No, you were too busy watching Rick and Morty. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Oh, jeez, Luke. <laughs> I, you, you got me. Oh, jeez, Luke. It's true, Luke. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, for your own writing, um, uh, genre, by the way, is a really great restriction. Um by the way, it's really good because uh, you don't just, after a while you start building a list of things that the genres do and then you ask yourself, why do they do them? And then you discover the difference between cliche and convention and then suddenly you can break all the cliches and adhere to the conventions and you come up with some ingenious things uh, and your work becomes really original and character specific. So restrictions are really important but don't just don't don't warp stories to fit restrictions. Your restrictions, ultimately, when you look back on it, you, it should be hard to tell which one came first, the story or the restrictions, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? They should be working together. They shouldn't be finding each other. That good? I think you tried to desperately tag a second ending onto the episode. I, I, that wasn't what I was trying to do. We should do an episode on genre. We'll do it another time. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye.